You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Warning. The truly unusual motion picture you are about to see contains many scenes of graphic violence. It is not intended for the faint of heart, nor the young and impressionable. While it is a sad fact that mass homicide and practitioners of blood cults infest our society, the producers of this film wish to express that they do not condone, nor do they want to inspire, any of the human butchery or violence portrayed in this film. If you feel you will be offended by such material, please leave the theater at once. Note. All of the mutilations, body dismemberments, and cannibal rituals were performed by seasoned professionals. <laughs> Please do not attempt any of these stunts at home. Thank you. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And this week we are talking about kooky cannibals in part one of a two-part episode. This week we are talking about Jackie Kong's Blood Diner and... It's kooky. <laughs> it is very kooky. I don't think I was really prepared for the level of humor this movie had. I thought it was just like, oh, a silly, dumb cannibal movie that's unintentionally funny. It's a straight up horror comedy and its sense of humor is twisted. Yeah, this movie has been on my radar for years. And well, it comes around every February, right? Female-directed horror film, and we just for some reason never watched <laughs> well, it. Well, we've always wanted to put it on the podcast, and I wanted to keep it special for the podcast, and we are... This was the right choice. Oh, boy. I, I really have to commend you on, on this. <laughs> I cannot wait to get into it, but before we start this week's episode, as we usually do, John, what is keeping you creepy this week? Tiff starts this week, so we are back in film festival season. We just finished up Fantasia. I mean, hell, Telluride and Venice are also happening right now, but we live just outside of Toronto, and we will be covering the Midnight Madness selections at Tiff. Uh, I think there are two movies in particular that we are both very excited to check out. One being Rob Savage, Gemma Hurley, and Jed Shepard's Dash Cam. Woo, I'm so excited. The creators of Host have a new fucking movie. They made it with Blumhouse, and it's premiering at Tiff. And it's like super under wraps all we have is one they haven't said anything yeah all we have is one still photo like it's from a dash cam there's like a figure in the road yeah we don't even know who's in the movie i don't i am so uh i'm excited it uh yeah i don't know anything about it but i'm stoked i'm very excited so that's premiering at tiff we are also seeing edgar wright's last night in soho fuck yeah we are i'm so excited it's a, a movie that I know a little bit more about than, say, Dashcam, but I am trying to know as little as possible exactly. about like, it. Exactly, like uh, Anya Taylor-Joy Giallo. <laughs> right? Yeah, like a, like a late 70s Yes, please, trailer horror. off. <laughs> yep, that's all I needed to know. Yeah, there are, there are a whole ton of movies playing at TIFF that we're probably going to check out. Movies like Dune, but like, eh. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to read all six of those books before. And even the first book feels like six books. I've tried reading it. Not happening. I'm only going for the horror movies, and, and those are two that I will not rest until we've seen. Speaking of horror movies... I don't know if you know about a little dude named James motherfucking Wan. <laughs> Malignant is coming out this week. 
Yeah, that's right. We have a we have a short interview with James Wan at the website that you can check out right now. I think by the time this episode comes out, uh, my review for the movie will also be out because I've already seen it. Yeah, so let, let's just <laughs> side note over here and talk about this little Nightmare on Film Street James Wan exclusive experience that Jonathan had. <laughs> I know, I felt like a contest winner. John got to go see the movie in theaters, special press screening, and got to fucking talk to James Wan. It was a good day. Well, I sat in the other room in my pajamas just like, Trying not to listen because I have not seen the movie. That this is what this is what happens when you uh, when you start a media outlet with your significant other. Sometimes they get to see malignant <laughs> without you, and then talk to the director about it and get the scoop on fucking animatronics, John. Animatronics. Uh, y- people are really uh, uh, responding to that in the interview that we published. Um, I mean, the best thing you could do is go in with no expectations of anything. Just like, it's a new fucking James Wan horror movie. I will at least say uh, that uh, I think fans of early 2000s, late 90s horror will especially appreciate it. Especially how it looks. It looks like a... That's me! That's definitely you. It's it's almost like a supernatural serial killer movie from the Dark Castle universe. Um, I'm, I think I'm selling it a little too hard for you, so... <laughs> Maybe try and just like erase all that from your head because I'd be really upset if I got you amped up and you didn't Uh, like it. But it's definitely, I'll say, one of the weirdest movies James Wong has ever made. That sounds great. I'm so excited. We're going to be recording a podcast about the movie. Uh, It's going to be coming out next week. So part two of Kooky Cannibals you will get in two weeks' time. And that's because we have a few changes here at Nightmare on Film Street. Oh, that look at we you bringing it around. I'm sorry, I'm still in malignant land. I'm like, oh yeah. I know. I'm really excited for you to see it. <laughs> I'm excited to see it in the theater again too. But I want. I'm excited to talk to you about it. It's going to be real hard to. You know, it's been a while since we've done those drive home from the drive-in reviews where we go see a movie together and then say nothing to each other until we get home in front of the microphones. But that's what we're going to be doing next week. We're going to be doing a spoiler-free review of Malignant with a full spoiler companion for The Fiend Club uh, talking about all the nitty-gritty bits of the movie. But if you want to listen to that podcast review before you see the movie, we will spoil nothing, which is going to be hard. (laughs) Especially because you're going to have seen it twice. Yeah. But yeah, so some exciting things to mention that that John kind of touched on. We're changing up the format of the podcast a little bit to have uh, more of a steady Nightmare on Film Street drip feed. Yeah. Uh, we Initially, when we started this, we did every Thursday, and it got to be kind of a crazy workload, so we went to bi-weekly. And now we kind of do this hodgepodge of, like, sometimes we do every Thursday, sometimes we don't. Going forward, we're going to try to do every Thursday. We'll probably take a Thursday here and there off, you know, for our own peace of mind, but we're splitting up our... Our typical head-to-head episodes, we're going to do them as two parts. It'll be the exact same format that you love and remember, but it'll be done over two different episodes. So uh, we can feel a little bit more liberty to explore movies maybe a little bit more in depth or or not. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we just want to make sure that you have a new episode of Nightmare, a new nightmare every Thursday <laughs> at midnight. Um, and and also, uh, podcasts are too fucking long, guys. Let's let's be real. Let's all take a step back and recognize that it's insane that every podcast you listen to is upwards of two hours long. Every single podcast. Yeah, I'm thinking I want to be more like a commute. And for us here, that's like 40-ish minutes. That's that's, that's a traffic's good. What that's are you a, talking about? That's a nice, that's a nice hearty commute. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and... 
And we don't want you to have to wait two weeks in between new episodes. We want to make sure that we've got some new content for you every single week. It might be interviews. It might be reviews of new movies that are in the theater. And if not, at the very least, we're always going to be talking about some of our favorite classic movies uh, spread out over two episodes. With our fun themes like uh, like this week's Kooky Cannibals. We got two movies picked for you. Uh, we're talking about one this week. And then John said we're doing Malignant Review next week. And then we'll finish up with Kooky Cannibals the week after. But if that's too much information for you, all you got to do is hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and it'll download right away. It'll be in there for you Thursday morning, Wednesday night. I don't know what country you're from. So (laughs) whatever your time zone is, we upload it around midnight on Wednesday Eastern time. So figure it out. (laughs) But let's get into it. Let's talk about our first movie in our Kooky Cannibals double feature. We're talking about Jackie Kong's Blood Diner. Ah, hello, fellow food lovers. I'm Phil Mignon, world-famous gourmet. In my travels, I've sampled some of the most exquisite foods the world has to offer. That's why they've asked me to tell you all about a charming new eatery located right downtown. As um, you can see, the atmosphere is lovely. But, of course, the uh, finest attribute of this quaint cafe is the marvelous cuisine. I'd give my right arm for that secret recipe. Uh, Yes, the chef puts a bit of himself into every succulent dish. Oh, and he's always pleased to serve you to your friend. Uh, sh- shouldn't that be serve you and your friends? Uh, no. Uh, your gracious hostess will direct you to your table. Where you will dine as if there's no tomorrow. So, breeze on down and don't let anything stand in your way. Oh, uh, this Epicurean haven is called Blood Diner. You got that right. So, this is Phil Mignon, ah, saying, Bon Appetit. Oh, Mommy. The Blood Diner. First they greet you, then they eat you. No one under 17 admitted. World famous gourmet. Gore. Meh. <laughs> Damn, you know, that trailer, like, really sells that movie. That trailer was a whole journey. If we had to watch that trailer before we watched the movie, I think we would have been really prepared for what we were in for. I'm actually really pleased how blind we went into this. I would have loved it regardless, but it this, was... This seems like your kind of dumb movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was it was such a fun viewing experience. Um, I have at least five scenes that I absolutely... And like moments I have to absolutely talk about just for the sheer fact that I need to confirm that they happened and that they yeah, exist. right? <laughs> we had to both constantly look at each other like, we are seeing this, right? <laughs> we don't. We didn't get food poisoning and are hallucinating this movie right oh, now. Oh boy! Watching Blood Diner for the first time was akin to 
the entire Shudderverse discovering Tammy and the T-Rex last year. Oh, sure. Just the sheer, like, bonkers delusionalness of it that you're just like, is this meta? It's from another world. Is this intentional? Is there a layer of intent here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they both also feature brains in jars, so not a bad comparison. Brains in things and brains in jars. Speaking of Shudder, there is no Metacritic rating when you look this movie up, but they do list the Shudder rating. The Shudder audience has given it a 3.8 out of 5, which is high praise. I think that's the highest rating that it has across the internet, (laughs) uh, because it also has a 57% on Rotten Tomatoes, 5.3 out of 10 on IMDb, and 3.0 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I mean, that's pretty good on Letterboxd. It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what's funny is most of the people that I follow uh, have given it like five stars or yeah. like four stars. It's just like, yeah. <laughs> and at this point, it's like a cult movie from, I think, 1987. Yeah. 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 So people are seeking it out to see this movie. Every single one of these ratings is retroactive. Yeah, so anybody seeing this in like 2021, whatever year it is currently, uh, (laughs) (laughs) are giving it five stars, I think, because I'm going to rate it five stars right now. (laughs) I I completely understand. You know, the funny thing is I could not find any information on box office numbers. Now, I did only look for 45 seconds. There was no office. (laughs) This movie was a front. Like, this movie, they just threw money into it. This is a money laundering operation for sure. Uh, I couldn't find any reviews at the time. I think TV Guide slammed it a little bit. (laughs) That was about it. TV Guide. Yeah. Oh, man. What a bizarre movie. Can I ask you one question? Jokes on TV Guide. This movie outlived TV Guide. (laughs) (laughs) Take that, you fucks. Can I ask you one question, though, before we get started? Yeah. What's the name of this fucking restaurant? The movie takes place... At a health food restaurant, I don't know the name of the restaurant. Because okay. outside the sign is a squiggle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I wrote it down because it's a decal on their truck. It's, Tut- oh. it's Tutman Cafe, which is their name backwards. But you're so right. There are moments where the de- we're with the detectives outside of the, the cafe, which is just a corner building on low-rise office. Mm-hmm. Not what I would have decided for a roadside diner, but, you know, you work with what you got. It's a health food um, store. They did not have... Any kind of logo. It looked, I think it was like an olive on fire. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that totally looks like that. I see it. A flame and olive. I think that we could talk about this movie in a scrambled, jumbled mess. I was thinking, I was like, how are we going to do this? Because sometimes, like, when we do movies that we were seeing for the first time or we're not too familiar, we like to walk through the plot a bit. Yeah, and it's, let's avoid that. Does, <laughs> does that even, will that work for this? Let's let's try and do this. This is something we used to do, and to be perfectly honest, I think something we should bring back. Like, while we're talking about things that were changing on the podcast, this is totally something we should do. Kim, what's the TLDR version of this movie? Give me, like, a two-sentence logline. What the fuck is this about? Oh, God. Okay, so... A couple of nephews. <laughs> yeah. Reanimate the corpse of their. Okay. Reanimate the... reanimate the brain of their serial murderer uncle. Yes. In order to get guidance on completing a ritual to raise an ancient deity that requires multiple body part sacrifices as well as a grand feast. Yes. They're N- also nailed chefs. It. Nailed it. At a cannibal. <laughs> 
vegetarian diner. Yeah, here's the thing. They are not advertising that they are cannibals. Who would? Uh, They are, in fact, a health food store, specifically a vegetarian restaurant, and they are the talk of the town. And every, oh my God, people can't get enough of this place because they don't realize they're eating human beings. That's the core of the movie. It ping-pongs around that a lot. Uh, two of my favorite things about this are the op- the cold open of the movie is just some kids playing alone in a house and a murderer is breaking down the door and the kids are terrified. They're hiding for their lives. The killer, he's got a meat cleaver in his hand and he's making his, he's in the house and then all of a sudden they're just like super, oh, it's Uncle Anwar and they're no longer scared whatsoever. It's just really He's got to pass on the the family duty. <laughs> I think at that point I did not know that this was a comedy. And it just seemed like a weird choice. Now that I'm looking at it, I think it's just a gag. Like, I think it's spoofing on what a cold open for a horror movie should be. Yeah, right? the opening kind of reminded me, none of the rest of the movie. But <laughs> the, uh, the opening of the movie, it gave me very, like, Christmas Evil vibes. Like, you realize that these kids are destined to grow up and, and do something very, very awful. Oh, I see. Okay. Because, yeah, like, we sorry. get the curse book. They, they get the amulets, which don't really come into play very much. And uh, there's the hypnotizing the Oh, dog I forgot bit. about that. Yeah, where he's <laughs> just like, hey, Uncle Anwar, I've been practicing my hypnotizing <laughs> by using one of the, the cat clocks, right? Yeah, and the family dog. And the family dog, yeah. So Uncle Anwar, it very clearly has just been on a murderous rampage. He's covered in blood. He says that the cops are coming for him and his time is almost gone and the police kill him on the lawn and 25 years later the 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 brothers michael and george unearth their uncle and we jump into that like it's the beginning of friday the 13th part six yeah (laughs) it's bizarre we're just at the cemetery you you would think that this was supposed to be a scene from a previous movie that we're watching a sequel right uh also oh this is just this is just genius (laughs) like this is absolute Horror comedy brilliance. They they did 25 years later, mind you. Remember, it's been 25 years. (laughs) They dig up this corpse. They break open the coffin. They crack open the skull, and the brain like just like pops out like it's like like a geyser. And they they catch it in a in a jar of liquid that they keep it in. And now the brain, totally functional, fully operational, intact, can talk to them both. I think they performed a spell at the cemetery, but it went so quickly that did they? Uh, yeah, and I, I super fresh that brain. Yeah, <laughs> and with the with the retinas and everything. Like yeah, the, the <laughs> eyeballs attached, the spinal cord thing. I think that's the tongue. You think so? You kept saying that, like the, the, there was a tongue piled up at the bottom, but like I didn't see it moving at all. We're gonna have to um, reinvestigate. Yeah, <laughs> man, I love a good brain in a jar with the eyeball still attached. And the the bubbly water was a real great effect. Oh yeah, like and the talking water. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. It's like an equalizer on like a Winamp player or something. <laughs> Man, three years before RoboCop two, this movie came out. Holy shit! Which I get just based on the blank stares Kim's giving me. If anybody else is unaware, the villain in RoboCop two mostly just a brain in a jar with eyeballs attached. Thanks, John. <laughs> And so, yeah, the rest of the movie is that these two kids taking advice from their really shitty uncle about which ladies to kill and take parts from yeah and so we're set up with the instructions on how to uh, 
reanimate Sheetar. We need to build a body. We need to Frankenstein ourselves the perfect woman. But they it, get that body pretty ha- quick, too. That's what I was going to say. So, But it has to be sluts. And Yeah, we, <laughs> we need arms and limbs from five immoral women. And instead of, you know, the movie being this, like, oh, we got to kill women. So, like, they're, they're bringing back dates, which does happen. But the body is already assembled at this point because they go on a fucking mass shooting spree at, like, a nudie aerobics class? Oh, yeah, that's right. That is a different movie entirely. There are a lot of different movies going on inside this movie, Kim. <laughs> Holy shit. In a Reagan mask? Bizarre. And then, yeah, I think the rest of it, like, they, I, I need the, the lungs of two sluts and, like, all that kind of junk from the uncle. Uh, I think that's just for the spell, right? Like, that's just to create the potion? Which is like the the feast stew, right? It seems like it takes them an eternity to make this fucking stew. The body was the quickest thing that they built. Yeah, yeah, they pieced that together, no problem, in like a cutscene. Bam, it was all together. Yeah, they stole like whatever parts they wanted from the dead aerobic, uh, the dead aerobicizers, and that's what gets the cops involved. The cops in this make. No sense whatsoever. I fucking love them, though. Oh, and I I love the level of camp in it. Like, every single detective, so overacted. The level of acting from even just the core cast, like the brothers and the animated brain, compared to the detectives, (laughs) it was like camera crew two and camera crew one, and they never spoke. (laughs) (laughs) There was no uh, correlation between the two movies they're making because the cops, they're going so hard. Like, we got to figure out this murder. And, and it's kind of insane because they have a lot of facts that I myself had not picked up on. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a health food diner until... Until the cops told you. At least, yeah, like halfway through the movie. I was like, it's health food? Because the one core critic guy who keeps coming back for the Tuesday special is like this really overweight lumberjack who is like their main source of buzz damn is he actually a food critic he's the one that brought all of the buzz to them damn i didn't even i did not catch that whatsoever i was like wow this truck driver is a vegetarian in 1987 good for him (laughs) now i'm even questioning that logic that i have he does have a lot of insider knowledge like there's there's and they beat him up so much every single time he's at the store they beat him up and he keeps coming back one time they beat him up so much that he barfed all over the restaurant and then he kept eating (laughs) yeah his response was like oh i gotta start again like he was just upset that he wasn't full anymore oh god every every joke in this movie is a bad joke and i laughed at nearly all of them but they are all in poor taste you know what i'm saying yeah so they continue to run their diner and there's some things going on here the detectives are are getting closer and closer somehow they figured out that they need to look for a health food related stuff there was no connective tissue between the murder and that thought it's yeah, just we saw so- them in the police station like all right well i'm gonna go start looking at health food stores <laughs> and the, the question i have is so they're seeking out healthy slots like vegetarian slots because like they go to a weird there was a mention of that. yeah so yeah. they go to the aerobics which okay that's healthy i get it and then they go to like a new way Club, where all the healthy people go for the sluts there. <laughs> Club Dread, by the way, I loved it. Yeah, I fucking loved it. Big neon sign, Dread. Yes, 
please, also, I would go there. The variety of bands that played there was pretty wonderful. Yeah, like there was some like cool rockabilly that just went on forever. Yeah, uh, yeah, with like psycho rockabilly s- stuff. Yep. Side note: with some Hitlers, which Lots is not the Hitlers, <laughs> which is like another thread we have to go down regarding wrestling Hitler. Yeah, yeah like was this was the goal of this movie to try and just be as offensive as possible? Was that the plan? Kind of a John Waters detour. So yeah, like, that's what I'm thinking. I think like to make a midnight movie, it has to be offensive to everyone. If you want to say slut, you have to say homo. If you want to have, if you want to have topless girls, you have to have Nazis. Like I don't, I don't know. And the, the, what the yeah, the were. uncle was pretty vulgar. He was yeah. pretty like he was the worst of all. Like yeah, with the the, the derogatory terms. Um, yeah, none of these are my words. These but, are all words that are coming out of actual characters' mouths in the movie. Like, but I, also. He talked about not having a dick anymore a lot, and he like sure did. how much trouble his dick got him in. <laughs> I, I believe I believe he constantly said schlong. If I had a schlong anymore, you would know. Oh, there was also that moment too. I swear to God, there was a police radio at the beginning of the movie that said there's been a man seen in the neighborhood with a meat cleaver in one hand and, and his, his genitals in the, in the other. other. Yeah. And you're like what? <laughs> and then like, you find out that's their uncle who's come barreling into the house. But later on in the movie. He goes, oh, if I hadn't have lost my genitals and my life, I would, I, I would show you the what a true man is. You're like what? Oh, there's so, a lot of choices in this movie. There is a whole wrestling subplot. That's, that's what I was gonna say. So in between, like the cannibalizing promiscuous women, they're not even promiscuous. <laughs> like, well, they not- applied prom- promiscuous women. Yeah, there's a wrestling match. With Johnny Hitler. With Johnny Hitler. Or is it Jimmy Hitler? Jimmy Hitler. Yeah, all-American Nazi. Like, that's that's essentially his his thing. One of the brothers is obsessed with wrestling, and he can't, he can't do any meal prep without tearing the lettuce in half and throwing it at the TV screen and fighting with the customers because of the, the results of these wrestling competitions. There's a whole wrestling match later on where he fights Jimmy Hitler. I don't know why. I also don't know why. I don't know why any of it's there. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why the wrestler had to be a Nazi. I don't know why the backing band at Club Dread had to be Nazis. It's just happening. Like full out Hitler mustaches on all of them. And they're still rocking out. And the armbands too, which was yeah. a choice. That's, something about that where it's just like, you can pretend to be a Nazi and you can call yourself Jimmy Hitler, but something about wearing the armband arm is like is an like, extra step that yeah. you're like, yeah, this, this went too far. <laughs> let's let's just take a few minutes to like rattle off a few little bits of things that we were like, wow, that's happening right now that are just like not crucial to the plot. What was some of your favorite junk in this movie? Okay, so my favorite kill. Oh, this is, no. I know uh, what it is. It's and if hard. you don't say it, I'm saying it's it. It's hard. So, well, there's one that's part of a subplot, so I won't talk about that yet. But just the main, like, bringing girls back to kill them. One woman, her head is deep fried. And, it like, sure is. Battered and deep fried. <laughs> yeah, and he's she slathering <laughs> batter on her like it's the sexiest thing they've ever done. And right? she's so into it. He deep fries her head, and she comes out of the deep fryer looking like a fucking jalapeno popper. Yeah. Like a a mushroom-packed deep-fried ball. Yeah, perfectly golden fried dough running around the the restaurant. Oh, boy. He ends up knocking her head off with, like, a hockey stick or something? Comes clean off, though. Yeah, real good. Fried al dente. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, and then uh, you know what? I would say one of my second favorites is a imme- comes immediately after that, where her friend who's with her, who's no, not- oh, that's a good kill. I forgot about that right? one. Right? She's like, oh, there's something wrong with my friend. I gotta go. And she's she realizes she finds her body. She <laughs> she finds the other brother just pulling her intestines out and throwing them around the diner. There's no blinds on this window. It's, anybody would see this going on. At one point, the cook comes out just holding intestines while the the restaurant is full of people. Like they have no care for body parts, not and blood, all. and how people are still thinking this res- this restaurant is even remotely vegetarian. I don't know how they've remained in business this long. <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But so she she she's about to leave. She's she has to go back for her purse, I guess. And and but when she finally gets out and she's headed toward the back door, the other brother appears and fucking meat cleavers her in half. In half. From the head down. She just splits in half. It's real good stuff. It was really nice. Did not expect <laughs> that. Did not see it coming. Looked great. There's another one that's super silly and dumb, and this is this is I think where they it's the beginning of them finding these two girls and bringing them back to the restaurant where he they're not letting them into Club Dread I guess because of dress code or they don't look cool enough and you know you guys don't look like vegetarians <laughs> yeah after a <laughs> bit of a scuffle with the with the bouncer he grabs the bouncer by his his collars throws him into the road and a lowrider car who's just like bouncing around like a night like a mid 90s music video squishes his head and everybody in line laughs the laughter was a choice <laughs> It was good stuff. Shout out to our friend Will, by the way, who's been trying to find that clip for nearly 20 years. Something he watched in childhood, did not know what it was. And then last week we were hanging out, trying to rack our brains to think about what it was. Lo and behold, 48 hours later, we watched it for the podcast. The funniest thing is that uh, we hung out with him and we were trying to like go through his horror collection to see if he had Blood Diner because we'd been meaning to watch it. And the movie we were looking for was the movie he was looking for, which is so funny. <laughs> Simulations working, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is simulation theory. So there's another really fun, there's a bunch of different stupid kills. Like one completely inconsequential kill is the chef brother driving in a van and oh keeps my God. running over this hitchhiker, but the truck is bouncing like he's having the best day of his life. Yeah. And he's like walking on sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Every time he looks up, the guy's getting back up out of the race. Okay, fine. Well, I guess I'll just reverse and hit you again. And it's, uh, he does he it like done it for an hour. 10 times. <laughs> yeah, he could have done that all night. So there's, there's a rival diner. He's got no customers, oh and this vegetarian diner is getting all the success. Oh, also, he's got this weird quirk where he's he, like a ventriloquist. Yeah, like he's always got this one customer sitting at his at his table that he's bickering with, but it's a dummy that and he's I, talking to. I did not understand what was going on because it isn't until the very end of the whole scene where like the detectives are there and they're who talk- are interacting with him and the doll. They're interacting with the chef and the dummy. And then at the very end of the scene, you see the chef doing the mouthing for the dummy. It's bizarre. It It is a choice. It was so weird because nobody was reacting to the fact that there was this, like, inanimate dude sitting at the end of the bar. Nope. It seemed like it was... Like, it was rehearsal. Like, the actor wasn't there yet. (laughs) So, like, we'll just put this dummy here. We can go through our scenes. And, you know, like, if we keep it out of focus enough, we could actually use some of these reaction shots. No one will know it's a dummy. So he's infiltrating the the vegetarian diner. The, yeah, um, with the dummy. He has to bring the dummy. The Tutman Cafe. He goes, at first he goes and gets a doggy bag, because I'm assuming he's going to like uh, like Plankton a la Spongebob, reverse engineer the Krusty Krab, yeah. or the Krusty Patty. But 
he comes back when the guys, I think, are at their wrestling match. Yes. The guys are somewhere, and he steals the brain. He steals Uncle Anwar. Because I guess he figures that's the key to all of this. Oh, no, because he's going to tell them how to cook. Like that's, And that's kind of what's happening throughout the movie, too, right? Like, these kids have, like, built a successful health food restaurant, but Anwar's got the real recipes. <laughs> they have to go rescue Uncle Anwar from this rival chef. And it's like, I don't know how it happens, but both of his hands get cut off. Oh, yes. So as he's, <laughs> as, man, it is so bizarre to just have a movie blipped from your memory as soon as you're finished watching it, but to then like, relive we watched it in this, live time. We watched this less than 12 hours ago. <laughs> yeah. One of the brothers cuts his hand off and then, like, that's when he's like, wow, I better get out of here. But as he's like going to his car and closing the door, he gets his other hand cut off. And then he's trying to drive away, but the blood from his like wounded wrists is just filling the <laughs> the inside of the windshield oh my god he can't see and then he crashes the car because he can't see through his wrist blood <laughs> <laughs> oh it's one of the funniest things i've seen all year yeah that's, and it's in one of the dumbest movies i've seen in my entire that's life <laughs> maybe my new favorite thing of all time is just that death scene the unfortunate, oh. like, I'm bleeding too hard to escape. And, like, the futile nature of trying to drive with just forearms and no hands. Oh, boy. What an image. What an image. Oh. And his reaction to it is just like, oh, what a bad day. Like, <laughs> this he's not is in awful. pain. Yeah. <laughs> this is a real inconvenience. Oh, just an absolute joy. Just made my year. <laughs> They put it. They had to put Anwar's brain, Uncle Anwar, which I gotta tell you, actual genuinely funny name. I don't know why. They had to put his brain into the Sheetar body. I do not right? understand the magic. So yeah, at some point <laughs> in the back of the van, they put Uncle Anwar in Sheetar. Yes, but they I don't also know why. needed. So Uncle Anwar becomes Sheetar. They also needed like the soul of a virgin, right? As you do As to complete you the spell. <laughs> Because I think Sheetar is supposed to eat the virgin. Oh, that's what it is. Sheetar is supposed to eat the virgin. Like a, like a, like a. First meal kind of thing. I was going to say like a black widow. When Sheetar, uh, when, she, when Sheetar is resurrected, we forgot to mention this earlier. When Sheetar is resurrected, her she chest. She has lightning for eyes. Oh. She has lightning for eyes. <laughs> she shoots lightning balls from, she shoots lightning bolts from her fingers and kills band members. And she has like a fucking Venus fly trap mouth in her chest cavity that she uses to eat people's heads i love the venus flytrap belly i love it too it's pretty wonderful it's real good stuff. the whole time i was like they better succeed because i want to see that venus flytrap eat someone yeah <laughs> yeah and and she does she totally eats one of the brother's brains like just like rips his head clean off it's good stuff I mean, the cops do kind of... I don't know how the cops figure out anything in this movie. They are steps ahead of me as an audience member. Yeah. There is there is one moment, though, where the police officer is on a phone call with her partner, who's an asshole. <laughs> and and he's like, you need to keep an eye out for Nam... Or, uh, yeah, like Namnint... Uh, with Anwar Namnint. He's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's dead. We, oh my God, we completely glossed over the fact that they go to meet this detective who 25 years ago killed Anwar Namtint. And he has to like relay the harrowing (laughs) 
the harrowing story. And his story. wife is like PTSD. Yeah, well, the best part, too, is that it's very clearly a scene from the beginning of the movie where the police kill Uncle Anwar. We only see that scene from inside the house with the kids, but now we're seeing it outside where there's a bit of a show. No new information is added. No new information <laughs> is added in the flashback. We can see that he says nothing to police officers. He just runs at them with a meat cleaver. They shoot him dead, and they just call it a day but when we come back to that police officer he's like i could have swore that i heard him say i'm gonna come back from the dead one day (laughs) and kill you (laughs) like are you trying to retcon something that happened in your movie 30 (laughs) seconds ago damn that's bold (laughs) loved it but yeah so uh they win they they resurrect shitar she has the blood feast of all blood feasts. Yeah, even though she doesn't get her virgin. I guess maybe that's supposed to imply that the butt brother she ate was a virgin. Maybe that's why she still survives. Oh, maybe. There were a lot of jokes about him being gay. And it's probably just because he likes wrestling. But maybe that's what they're trying to imply is that he's a virgin. But yeah, so it ends with Sheetar getting in some creeps convertible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we, f- we follow her high heels out of that fucking mayhem massacre. Which is fucking wonderful because... The guy that picks her up is like a complete slob. And she goes like, I'm Sheetar with her, her pointy ass teeth. But then we cut to him pulling away like completely normal with his date. Like yeah. she didn't just reveal a mouthful <laughs> of monster teeth. Yes. Like still fine. <laughs> it's like the end of the ruins, right? Or the thing. What a bizarre movie. So bonkers. And I, we need to petition to get this movie on every single streaming service so we can do a fucking watch party of this because I need to watch this with a huge group of people. You're absolutely right. This is a movie that should be watched with a crowd, with a group of friends, and definitely a lot of alcohol because it uh, it does not make a lot of sense and it's got a lot of bad crude humor. No, I fuck- Like, brace yourself for that. <laughs> that It's that level of crude humor from the late 80s. But uh, what a wild time. So, Kim, I gotta ask you, what's your rating of Blood Diner? Oh, boy. Is a four out of four, like, ludicrous to say? Okay, look, (laughs) I will let you give it a four out of four as long as you fucking explain yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I just had a fucking blast. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch it 26 more times. You think it's a perfect movie? It's awful. It's (laughs) an awful movie. It's so bad. It's super crass. It's outdated. There's, it was outdated for 1987. There's bad dubbing. There's lots of Hitlers. Oh, yeah. It's kind of impressive how... <laughs> Three and a half out of four. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to give it a... Oh, I'm going to... Uh, if you yeah. give it a four out of four, I'm punching you in the it, face right been, now. <laughs> that would be hysterical. I'm going to give it a three out of four. I think it deserves less, but man, did I have fun watching this movie. It's a piece of shit, and... No, it's not. No, it's. Th- I take that back. It's not. It's. It's a unique movie. I'll, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Like it's just, <laughs> just say it's a unique movie, and we'll just stop the podcast <laughs> right there. No outro. It's a unique <laughs> film. But that's just our opinion. Let us know what you thought of Blood Diner uh, over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast and in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord, which you can find at nofspodcast.com slash discord if you're not in there already. 
We're going to be finishing up Kooky Cannibals Part 2 episode in two weeks' time. We will also have the review for Malignant here on the podcast feed, so subscribe wherever you're getting Nightmare on Film Street. And if you have a few seconds, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us in the feeds and gets more fiends listening to Nightmare on Film Street. We're going to be keeping the subject of Part 2 under wraps for now, but... Uh, it also features a, a blood feast meant to resurrect an Egyptian god. And I found out today, Blood Diner was originally intended as a sequel to this movie that we'll be talking about in two weeks. That I think was... it's a spiritual sequel, like inspired by. Well, it is now. They originally scrapped <laughs> that idea. But na- knowing that, it's kind of interesting to think of this other movie as as a prequel to Blood Diner. And, and I'm excited to show it to Kim because she has not yet seen this movie. I have not seen it. And we will be back in two weeks to talk about Kooky Cannibals Part 2. Until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.